Hey, it's Yolakali. What's up? You are about to listen to facts, stories, interviews, gossip, and much more fascinating things that will be so stunning, there's a possibility that your mind will blow. This show will start five, four, three, two, one. You are listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali, and Little Village. And uh, today's topic is uh, What's Up Chicago? We're going to be talking about uh, Black Lives Matter by uh, one of our, by Ariel. And uh, we're going to be talking about uh, Gang Violence, which is a Gang Violence audio piece that I did. And uh, Lastly, we're gonna be uh, talking about uh, bait, uh, the bait truck situation with uh, oh, with Oscar, and uh, yeah. Childish way 
type of love better far than they if you want the thrill of Sebastian and uh, we're back today we're gonna be talking about uh, Black Lives Matter uh, with uh, my co-host uh, Ariel Ramirez All right. uh, so uh, what do you think about uh, Black Lives Matter organization not to say the whole organization is bad right mm -hmm. there's obviously people that are that strongly believe in what they're doing but um, I just find it kind of ineffective and kind of um, how it like you know turns out in like you know um, the protests and stuff yeah Black Lives Matter is funded by George Soros. Oh, uh -huh. yeah. It has chapters. It has, you know, it has meetings and stuff. So we have to call it an organization. So it's not It's not a movement. The same guy who's funding Antifa, right? Yeah, basically, it's that, that same dude. He's funding these organizations and stuff, not movements, organizations. What do you, like, what do you think about, like, when you hear, like, the word white apologists and all that kind of stuff? 
uh when i hear a white apologist i hear someone that you know well it ha- mostly happened like we already i mean you you and i went to the same school yeah we've seen what happened when trump was elected how all our teachers are feeling bad for us because yeah, <laughs> yeah. they were feeling bad for us because you know they're like oh we'll get it we'll get through guys we'll uh we'll make it through don't worry like i don't know what you're going through and all that a white apologist is like you know probably the worst person you could encounter because like just the fact that they feel bad for you like dude like (laughs) that's not gonna help yeah that's not that's not gonna help us at all like you could say all this stuff you know but i mean like you probably don't even understand like you know the situation like you don't even understand the situation like as a whole you know because you could say like oh we're like suffering and all this stuff but i mean we're kind of we're kind of we're kind of messing ourselves up. We're kind of like you know throwing ourselves over, you know, because like communities and stuff. Yeah. How uh, we have like all this like violence and stuff going on. Also, well, for example, uh, for us uh, Latinos, we have like you know gang bangers and all that kind of gang stuff. bangers and all that exactly. And it's an issue. Yeah. Well, it is an issue, but like, all right. Well, it's just uh, let's go back to like the Black Lives Matter thing, I guess. Yeah. So uh, like, what do you think about like? like cops and all that like white cops like shooting like uh black people and all that stuff do you think like some uh, in some of the situations do they have like the the right to shoot them or like they don't it's because uh look oh cops why don't they just like shoot like you know the legs and stuff why don't they shoot like the limbs instead of like you know killing them regardless if they have a weapon or not here's the thing though cops uh did you know that you know shooting a gun a cop's accuracy is actually around 20 percent they're 20 percent accurate holding wielding a weapon mm-hmm. and hitting limbs is way harder than actually hitting because cops are trained to hit like you know the upper body and stuff the the torso they're not trained to hit limbs they're not like they're not a swat team or something their accuracy is 20 percent. so the likelihood of hitting a limb just imagine trying to hit a limb while this guy also has a weapon and he just like you know he shoots you around the torso hitting the torso is way easier so, I mean, and not only that, like, the adrenaline also. Humans, like, have adrenaline when their lives are in danger. If someone feels in danger, they'll act by instinct and, like, you know, what would you rather do, let the guy kill you, even though you probably have a family or something? Like, yeah. would you let them kill you and, like, you know, just because, you know... Yeah, I understand No, it's yeah, that, yeah, but you, you get what I'm trying to say, right? Like, yeah. it's unnatural for someone, like, to, you know... Like, they rather put down the guy instead of, like, you know, let, letting themselves get killed. It's just, like, a natural instinct, you know? Yeah, my um, li- yeah, I know what you're saying. You're basically saying that my life before, like, it's my life first. That's what you're trying to yeah, say. Yeah, because they're, cops aren't, like, you know, yeah. police aren't, like, you know, disgusting, like, racists and stuff. that Just, like, torturing and killing minorities. Because some, some of the police force are minorities as well, you know? Yeah. We're not, it's not like back then where it was, you know, a completely, you know. Different thing. N- different thing. Exactly. Like. These guys also have families, so they want to come back to those families. So you know, if they have to kill, to the if they have to kill, which is usually they just whip out their weapons as a last resort. Yeah. But when they have to kill, they have to do it. I mean, I think it's perfectly uh, justified. I mean, not in all cases for sure, cases, but yeah. for most cases, especially around dangerous areas or especially in dangerous cities like Chicago, I think it's perfectly justified. All right. Well, uh, let me present my piece. Uh, would you like to play it? I'm making this audio piece to speak of the flaw in following the BLM movement or Black Lives Matter movement and how there are better ways to help black Americans than to be under the name of an organization. 
This also doesn't just go for blacks, but for all minorities in Chicago in general who were born in these terrible neighborhoods and have hit an arrested mentality that makes them believe that they have no hope in escaping their current way of life. For starters, I will start with pointing out why BLM is turning into a hate movement rather than a peaceful one. The mission the organization believes in, struggling together and imagining and creating a world free of anti-blackness, where every black person has a social, economic, and political power to thrive. Pretty solid mission statement, but here's where it flops. They in fact have all these things in their grasp, so I will get the complex stuff out of the way. Uh, let's talk about society and economics. A lot of members in the BLM believe that inequality exists as to where there are privileges to white men. First, we need to understand why inequality isn't actually bad in terms of economics. Professor An Anthony Davis, an, econ an, econo uh, an economics expert, explains this best. Let's put the scenario. Three kids, one tall, one medium, one small are all standing on the same sized boxes to get the grapes off the table. This will symbolize equality of opportunity. The likelihood of the taller one is almost guaranteed. The medium one will struggle a bit, but will get it anyway. And the smaller one won't get it at all. This is what we call inequality of outcome. Now, in this other same scenario, but switched around, we use the same kids, however the tall one has no box. The medium sized kid stands on one and a smaller kid on two. This symbolizes equal outcome as all kids will get a nab at the grapes, but it makes for inequality of opportunity as in not all kids get the same number of boxes as some will need them more than the other. What does this scenario have to do in relation with what I'm talking about? Well, we aren't talking about black folks who are in poverty, who are poverty stricken. We are talking about black folks and inequality. A black man who is poverty-stricken as a result of not developing the necessary education to take them to college. The definition of poverty is someone who has very little. Inequality would be having more than someone else, and a, and a lot of people in the movement, and many people in the U.S. in general, confuse these terms. In this scenario, we have another example of inequality. A poor black student named Johan, and a rich white student named Justin. Both go to the same high school. Johan and Justin have the same opportunity to enter the same college. However, Justin can't afford to pay for it without scholarships, while Johan can't. What Johan has to do is to get help from his teachers and advisor in order to help him get and maintain very good grades in order to meet the requirement of the scholarship. That way, there will be an equal outcome in both kids attending the same college. Basically, equality can't exist without inequality. We can all have the same opportunities, but not the same outcomes since people are different. Some people are born into wealth, some people are born into poverty, and that's just the way the world works. That is why some need to work harder and find connections that will allow them to grow to reach that equality, or in other words, being rich. Another example being, I start off my job as a radiologist at an annual salary, sa starting salary of $50,000. Another employee in the same line of work is already on his second year on the job and gets 65000 Then you get an employee at his third, earning 77000 Then you get one at his fourth, earning the max amount of money, the max amount, the max amount of annual salary, which is $103,000 annually. Eventually, as time passes, everyone over time will reach the same salary as the guy at his fourth year. So we will all eventually get the same outcome but when college graduates who enter this field arrive, the cycle will continue all over again. 
People can be unequal, yet perfectly equal. I kinda didn't want to touch on politics because it is pretty evident that blacks do have a representation in the house, having around 44 members who are African American. They can also vote. The general, amount of, the general amount of blacks who have served in the presidential cabinet, in fact, is high and on parity with the population. There was also a black president, so I don't need to say anything about this. I just find it unnecessary that this would be a concern then when no one cares as long as whoever is in politics believes in what you believe in and upholds it. Let's talk about police brutality next, which is the most frequent thing said by Black Lives Matter activists. I picked an analysis from the website called Channel 4 and read up on it on the Bureau of Justice statistics. So for the statistics, it shows that about 52% of homicides are committed by black Americans, while in contrast, whites commit the 45.3% and the other being 2.2%. This means that 13% of the population in total in the United States commit over a little half over the crime in the country. You can also check FBI reports. It shows similar numbers, but don't include the killings. Now let's look at police officers killing black people. According to the FBI Supplementary Homicide Report, about 31.8% of black of, of the black population are killed by police officers, which is around two times the general black population. That is pretty ridiculous, right? But if we compare the characters such as the number if we compare but if we compare characters such as the number of blacks arrested due to crime, which is 30%, we begin to question if any sort of racial discrimination is involved. I simply come to this conclusion because of a police officer displaying racial discrimination were a big factor in, kill in the killing of blacks. We would have expected a larger gap between the arrest rate and the police killing rate. BLM tells its members to be unapologetic. Well, ignoring what happens within your own communities is worse. How can you protest against police but defend the offenders that literally contradicts the mission this said movement wants to present to everyone? What do I conclude from all this? Well, I'm at the same conclusion. Black Americans have all the same opportunities that everyone else has. Their mission statement should be, we will stop violence with our, within our community and empower our community to have a stronger mindset to prosper. So we're back and I'm kinda gonna do like, uh, the next thing that we're gonna be talking about is uh, gang violence and like how it uh, affects people in Chicago and like several like Hispanic and black communities and how it's been like uh, sort of like an issue since like the 50s well not the 50s more like the 60s and all that kind of stuff and how it's kind of getting it's still kind of getting like out of hand and all that yeah I could uh I could totally well yeah well, I mean we see it we were born here yeah, we, we, we yeah, yeah we kind of like understand like how the gang violence situation has been like a huge problem in Chicago and like we've experienced it. We've experienced like like shootings and all that kind of stuff and it's kind of... Yeah, people have actually, I mean, remember that one time when that one guy got shot? I mean, we've seen people, we've not seen people die, but people have died around yeah. the, the area. It wasn't, it's not so bad now though, you know? It's not so bad now because you're like, you're, we're comparing it from like now to like the 90s like the 90s was like a like a really sort of like a dark period for like mostly it was like more of a nationwide like issue but like mostly in chicago the 90s was just like a terrible time for 
people living in Chicago because there was like so many shootings, like there was a lot of people dying. Like the cops were like, they, they were literally like out on, they were patrolling the streets like every like a minute. Like there would just be like a shooting and like it was like mostly in highly concentrated uh, Hispanic areas and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure a lot of cops were also scared, you know. They didn't want to mess with them either. Well, yeah, it was, yeah, they didn't, they didn't really want to mess with them. But, like, sort of, like, the decline of all the gang violence started to happen when, like, uh, the mayor started to, like, take down, like, homes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and, uh, like, homes, like, in Humboldt Park and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, yeah, so, like, that's how, like, gang violence kind of, like, declined for a while. And it's been declining, like, until now. Uh, you are listening to WLPN, LP Chicago 105.5 FM, Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali, in Little Village. Fly me to the moon, let me play among the stars, let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars In other words Hold my hand In other words Baby, kiss me Fill my heart with song And let me sing forevermore You are all I long for, all I worship and adore. In other words, please be true. In other words, I love you. song let me sing forevermore you are all i long for all i worship and adore in other words back and uh those were promos right there and um that was a song uh fly me to the moon by uh frank sinatra go like we're gonna be uh talking about like uh, gang violence again and uh yeah we're gonna be uh talking about well yeah we we're, that's that's what it's gonna <laughs> yeah just gang violence you know from what we from what, yeah, like, like what we've seen like growing up and all that kind of stuff yeah 
So we're gonna be talking about uh, audio, well, my audio piece, which is gonna play right now. Chicago has been a hotspot for gang violence since the days of Al Capone, from bootlegging and other crimes. When this era of gangsters died off in the early 50s came, several people from Latino countries started migrating to the U.S. with Mexicans and Puerto Ricans flooding the north and south sides of Chicago. During these times, white, Italian, and Polish gangs began forming to defend themselves from spics at the time. Several Latinos that lived in highly white neighborhoods of Chicago were targets of these gangs. Soon Latinos began uniting and began forming their own gangs where they targeted whites and blacks. Early gangs like the Latin Kings, Latin Scorpions, Latin Counts, and Spanish Cobras began gaining membership from several people. In the mid-80s when the white gangs started to die out, Hispanic gangs began turning the tables on each other, mainly the Latin Kings because of their large influence in Little Village, Humboldt Park, and Gage Park areas. When the people on folks alliances were introduced in prisons, Latin Kings allied with the Vice Lords, Latin Counts, Bishops, etc. And the folks are gangster disciples, hidden disciples, imperial gangsters, etc. That also united to fight off the Latin Kings in prisons and streets of Chicago. In the early 90s, internal gang alliances broke off. Folks and people broke off due to tensions with other gangs, and to this day, there really is no such thing as an alliance, but a more of a everybody killer mentality. Little Village gang history goes back to the 60s when early gangs such as the Royal Kings, Mexican Kings, and the Imperials united to form what is known today as the Latin Kings. The Latin Kings had territory spread from Pulaski to Western from the northern train tracks to 31st Streets. The highly Mexican area was good for the Latin Kings since their membership began to grow in the area. A couple years later, other gangs such as the Ambrose, Sin City Boys, Villa Lobos, and Party Gents began having their influence in the area. A couple years into the mid-60s, a baseball team by the name 26th Street Boys formed with the help of a local drug dealer who was helping them make business in the area by 24th and Sawyer. When the Latin Kings heard about the drug dealing that the 26th Street Boys were doing, they began harassing their members because the Latin Kings wanted to take full control of the 26th Street area. This would soon end up becoming a full-scale war where both sides lost several people. The, the 26th Street Boys turned to the 2-6 in, in order to honor the 26th Street area and adopted the bunny with a bent ear and hat. They fled the 24th and Sawyer area due to heavily Latin King presence and moved to the K-Town section of Little Village. Gangs such as the Party Gents or Villalobos flipped to Latin Kings because of the presence they had. The Ambrose fled the area due to several conflicts with the 2-6 and their sets couldn't be hold. And by the 90s, both gangs set their borderlines where the Latin Kings controlled the ridgeway to California, west to east, and train tracks to the north all the way down to 31st Streets. Uh, the 2-6 controlled Costner to Hamlin from west to east and train tracks to 31st, north to south, to the eastern part of Little Village. We went to 26th Street to interview people about the gang violence in Little Village and all of Chicago. Question is, uh, what do you think about gang violence in this area? I think it's mainly because of the drugs. I feel like it's a drug war, you know. And if we either stop consuming, you know, we, there'll be less drugs in the area, you know. What do you think about gang violence around like the whole city? Mm. Like, do you think it's like? Is it like, how do you say it? Like, do you think it has to like also like do with like drug stuff and all it, that? It's, I feel like it's because of the drugs. It's a drug war, you know, everybody's out there trying to make money. And it's also in the family, you know, if there's kids growing up in a gang-related family, 
they're gonna feel like they're gonna follow those people that they look up to. They're gonna, you know. And I feel like, um, you know, how they say, I was watching about um, a DEA agent. Well, he was already retired, but he was saying that if they, if the Illinois were to legalize marijuana, that maybe that he was for sure that it was going to um, that gang violence will decrease. decrease. Has personalmente sido afectado sobre todo esta violencia pandilleril? Mm, personalmente, bueno, uh, lo único, bueno, hasta ahorita yo gracias a Dios que viene mi dinero y me robaron unas, unas uh, cosas de aquí de, de la tienda, pero ha sido en realidad pues casi poco. Me ha tocado ver, pero casi en otros lados aquí cerca, pero pero en carne propia las ahorita bendito Dios no lo he sufrido entonces la corta pregunta es qué crees que es uno de los factores o cosas que causan esta violencia pandilleril para que pase bueno no sé yo siempre lo he dicho aquí aquí la gente confunde la la libertad con el libertinaje es demasiado lo que en principio de cuentas El, el, el conocimiento, el, 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 la, la ignorancia de la gente provoca mucho de ese tipo de cosas. El, el exceso de trabajo también de los padres que no vigilan a sus hijos, que no los cuidan o que no los educan. Dejan que otra gente sea lo que los eduque y, y ahí están las consecuencias. ¿verdad? La cuarta pregunta es, ¿qué crees lo, de lo, uno de los factores o lo que causa la violencia pandilleril entre toda la ciudad mm, que no hay muchos programas para entretener a los jóvenes para que no salgan a las calles a hacer la violencia okay. la última pregunta es ¿qué crees que puede reducir la violencia pandilleril en Chicago? crear más este programas para que los jóvenes tengan con qué entretenerse lo que es después de escuela, los fines de semana y cuando no hay clases, para que no estén pensando qué es lo que van a hacer. Some of most of the things that we, that the people that we interviewed, they all had one thing in common. Hearing their point of views on how they saw gang violence in the community and the city is important because they witnessed these type of issues that affect Old Village and the city. And they believe that making kids join programs to stay out of the streets is an important factor to keep kids out of gangs so they won't be by themselves when their parents are not around the household. I personally think that what is best for the city of Chicago is to probably make the city create more programs for the youth to join in. I also think that what might work is the mentality of youth because it is really up to them to see what they want to become when they get older. Most of these kids who are born in the U.S. have opportunities and it really is up to them to take these advantages because a lot of kids in other parts of the world do not have these opportunities. The way to lower gang violence, in my opinion, is to change the way the youth thinks, add more programs, and stay away from media that negatively influences the youth these days. The crime statistics from back then versus now are very different because, according to WBEZ, around the 80s and late 90s, this shows an increasing amount of crimes committed, but then crime begins to reduce more and more throughout the years above the 2000s. Until it does an odd increase in 2016, where the amount of murder rates has gone almost as the same amount of the deaths around 1997, which made 2016 a really dangerous year since the 90s. 
but crime has gone down from 20% from 520 murders in 2017 to 418 in 2018. So yeah, that was my that was my audio piece right there, and it was just like a brief history of like gang banging in Chicago, like how gangs formed and all that kind of stuff, and uh, also like the gang history in Little Village and how it's like been going on since like the '60s and all that kind of stuff. So like so like the Lion Kings and all that those organizations like uh, Lion Kings, uh, Lion Scorpions, uh, Spanish Cobras, all these gangs uh, from the north side they mostly like they started forming because of the sort of like these white gangs that were that existed during that time where uh where they they started how do you say they were like they were pressing like hispanic people because a lot of hispanic people were moving in from latin american countries in the 60s and like these white gangs they wanted to like how do you say they wanted to in a sense like kick out the hispanics that were like uh that were in that area because they just wanted it to like those communities in the north side they wanted them like to just stay white so when these Hispanic people or Latin, uh, Latino people were coming in, uh, they just they formed and all that, and they started like beating up Hispanics, and then Hispanics eventually kind of got like mad about uh, the, that whole situation. That's how they like formed into gangs, and yeah, that's that's sort of like how quick like history about like Chicago Hispanic gangs and all that, and uh, uh, we're gonna be uh, Oscar's gonna be uh, talking about uh, this as well. Yes, hello there. My name is Oscar. I'm joined here with Davon, and uh, I'm just going to give you a brief uh, mention about the uh, bait trucks recently, which have, uh, have occurred here in Chicago, really. Um, it's quite unfortunate, really, that the CPD would resort to something as, you know, as, as sad as just to, like, plant a truck full of shoes varying from Nikes and all sorts of other brands in a impoverished black community and just, you know, it's just you know what you're doing. You're placing some uh, an actual trap in an uh, like again an impoverished community. It's like you know that they're gonna take the bait. You know, unfortunately, that's how that's how it's seen and that's how it is. You know, if if there's people out there struggling, trying to get through, just trying to get that daily bread, it's 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 quite it's quite uh, obvious that they're gonna go ahead and just try and do their best for not themselves, but maybe who knows, maybe their family and just take this and. I just think they went about it all wrong. And again, just going back to that, the bait truck, they that was just one way to just ruin their connection with the community. If they wanted to establish something with the community, then they should probably just take, it, it could have been any other method, but that right there was just wrong. However, uh, recently there is there has been um, some light been uh, shedding on some news recently about um, this uh, anti-bait trucks where um, these activists have been giving out free shoes to, um, you know, to those in need. You know, they come and they get a free pair of shoes. There's barbers at the site who would give, um, you know, free cuts, as well as, um, you know, performances by uh, Chance the Rapper himself and many other talented artists. And I thought that was a pretty good way to, you know, just um, to show that <laughs> basically they're making a joke out of what was seriously shouldn't have been done in the first place, which was just planting these traps in the community. Uh, but moving along, uh, Davon, is there anything that you want to add to this? Um, hi, my name is Davon. Um, I think I could talk more after we play the audio piece uh, made by Melissa. So we can run that really quick. 
guys, this is Melissa. Back in August, there was controversy about a bait truck that was used in the neighborhood of Englewood. The CPD and Norfolk Southern Railway Police worked together to park a truck filled with Nike and Christian Louboutin shoes in order to lure people to steal the shoes. Martin Jean Johnson recorded this video of what happened. It's a bait truck, man. Today, I'm going to speak with Karen Sheely of the Illinois ACLU about the bait trucks. She is the director of the Police Practices Project, and she started by telling me what bait trucks are. Well, here in Chicago, recently, there was a scandal with the Chicago Police Department because they placed a truck full of um, tennis shoes in Englewood a neighborhood where there are a lot of people who are living in poverty, and left it in a location so that, that it was relatively easy for people to take things from the back of the truck. They then um, used that information to, uh, to make arrests. So the idea was that there had been complaints about burglary and other parts of the area, and they were placing an item that they thought might get stolen there to try to lure people and to to um, to stealing things, that had a really severe impact on uh, people's trust in the police. In a city where people are already very distrustful of, of Chicago Police Department, um, you know, tempting people to steal things when it's not really a situation where people would otherwise do it uh, really harms the trust of the community. How does the community feel about this? It felt targeted and exposed, is what we heard from people, and very angry that the department had used this tactic, especially in a community where people have so few resources. It was also targeted at a um, predominantly black community, and people raised the problem that this isn't something that was happening in white areas. What is wrong with the police using bait trucks to stop theft? The, the problem with bait trucks is that they're really having an impact on, on people's trust in law enforcement, and it makes people feel as though um, the, the department is out to get them. And in this case, many people felt like they were targeting um, a poor black community to make an arrest based on um, kind of a trick rather than uh, an actual serious crime. And what can police do to improve relations with the community? They've already promised to not use bait trucks in the future. That's a good thing. And the Chicago Police Department has agreed to enter a consent decree where they're going to make a large number of reforms. We think that is both necessary and a step in the right direction. What would you inform like the community that action on this issue? Like, what what recommendations could you give people from like Chicago? Well, you know, I think that on this one, community voices have already spoken out. There are community groups who held um, protests at the time and other people who gave away the same kinds of products that were available um, in that bait truck as a sign of solidarity with the Inglewood community. Um, now that the police department has promised not to use it again, I think that we can all turn our attention um, as a community throughout Chicago on the consent decree process and ensuring that um, there, there's gonna be federal oversight of the Chicago Police Department. So we're back, and that was uh, that was Melissa's audio piece about the about bait truck. 
Well, m- very interesting. Yes. I've actually never heard about an anti-bait truck. But like going back to Devon, would you like to finish? Would you like to finish your thoughts? Yeah, I think speaking to the bait trucks and um, other instances of police doing things intentionally to like go a community into crime or other sorts. Um, I think it it begs the question of us trying to find out what a crime constitutes and like what it looks like to put a community under certain rules, um, especially when those rules may not be applied equally or equitably to other communities and everything. So I'd like to hear y'all thoughts on that, on how maybe you see that around your community and everything, especially in the context of looking at gang violence. Well, um, I've never heard about any, I've never heard about the anti-bait truck or the bait truck, uh, to be honest. Have you heard of any other instances in which like there was like trickery I mean, I'm pretty sure back then, well, I'm not, probably even now, I'm not really sure. But, like, back then, like, I because, I, I mean, I've never, you know, I don't know, I'm just going to bring up, like, you know, back then with, like, you know, uh, uh, African Americans with, like, how uh, someone would literally just, like, you know, anyone would, like, scream, like, you know, oh, like, he's doing all this and stuff, and, like, they would get, like, arrested and stuff, like, out of nowhere for no reason. I mean, something like that would be something that would be, like, you know, that I would see as a, that would bring up a similar to the bait truck, like, but, no, actually, no, actually, I have heard something about, like, the bait truck. Uh, I honestly feel like that's kind of, that's kind of weird. That's, (laughs) that's messed up, uh, like, doing it on purpose in order, like, to, you know. To make, like, smaller groups or like minorities like to like go and like jump and like do these things all that kind of stuff like in these sort of like crime infested areas or something like that they just do that so like people could like you know like sort of like trap them into doing something i mean not trying to justify it or anything right but it's kind of weird like you know why would like you know just imagine if you had like you know those like trucks that have like the coca-colas and stuff that like where they're gonna like you know drop them off and stuff like usually you would like you know a person would be like oh we shouldn't like you know touch this and stuff because they're obviously gonna you know like see you do it they're gonna see you do it and like this has already been paid to go like you know into this like one you know like store or something i'm not i'm not really sure uh, but it is like it is pretty messed up so you know just like <laughs> it's messed up to do it i like specifically like went to college because of things like that you know um, growing up around communities where cops were doing those things, it didn't get as much publicity as on um, this one instance because this has been happening for decades on different scales, be it, um, you know, the, the so-called, like, war on uh, crime and everything like that, the war on uh, crack and everything like that, where there was intentional filling of crime in order to, like, punish that crime. Um, I grew up in the same instances where it was, like, we would think, like, if you go to college to get educated or if you go to college to, like, study this and study that, that somehow you would transcend those different lifestyles and everything just to find out how intentional and how systemic and systematic those violences are, right? I think when we talk equality, when we talk equity, when we talk um, crime and how it affects our communities, we have to look at why that crime is happening and what a crime even is, you know? Yeah, um, totally agree. Uh, You brought up that, you know, uh, about, like, you know, how we're... uh, Wait, could you uh, repeat what you said uh, about the, what's it called, about, like, uh, where you're born and stuff? That's You brought something like that up, right? Of course. I was um, I was born in a Philadelphia suburb in South Jersey. That was really rural and pretty um, famished and everything. And then I moved to Philadelphia 
uh, we, and a lot of that time was in North Philly, in Frankfurt, which is kind of like comparable to like Englewood in Chicago, where we would constantly see these things at play, and we had to like somehow battle it. You know, I think, um, you know, you and I were talking earlier about like what education can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, education might be a way to like somehow like level out this playing field where, um, you know, there's different things that are going against me versus going against like other people. Even though when you're going against those other people and going against those things that are like trying to oppress you, there's still more effort that's needed to even get to that like higher level. And even with all that effort, you still can come up short, you know? Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to. Uh, so. Uh, we'll do a quick like recap about like the whole show and stuff. So we we're talking about uh, Black Lives Matter with like Ariel, and then after that we did a transition talking about gang violence and my audio piece and like how it, like gang violence affects uh, Chicago and all that stuff and how it's been going on through like several years and stuff. And uh, lastly, like the third topic we were talking about was like Bay Trucks with uh, Melissa's audio piece which sort of like explained the Baytrick situation that happened in uh, sh- uh, in this city. And, uh, and talking it out with uh, Oscar and Vaughn and all that. Uh, you're listening to WLPN LP Chicago 105.5 FM Lumpen Radio, broadcasting live from Studio Y, Yolokali in Little Village. And uh, now the end is near. So I face the final curtain My friend, I'll say it clear I'll state my case Of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I traveled each and every highway and more much more than this I did it my way regrets I've had a few but then again too few to mention I did what I had to do Saw it through Without exemption I planned Each charted course Each careful step Along the byway And more Much more than this I did it my way Yes, there were times I'm sure you knew When I bit off More than I could chew But through it all When there was dark I've had my fill 
my share of losing and now as tears subside i find it all so amusing to think i did all that and may i say not in a shy way oh no oh no not me i did it my way for what is a man what has he got if not himself then he has not to say the things he truly feels and not the words of one who needs the record shows i took the blows and did it Hello, it's me. I haven't heard from you in a while. I hope it's because you're listening and enjoying our amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, amazing, astonishing, highly amazing production. If not, you should listen to our radio show, What's Up, again. In the meantime, we'll be working on the next one here in Lumpin' Radio. So stay tuned to our next amazing, outstanding, terrific, wonderful, inspiring, delightful, funny, breathtaking, astonishing, highly amazing broadcast. I hope that you are informed about the awesome parts of life and that you will have a splendid day. Don't forget to listen to us on SoundCloud at Yolokali, on social media like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or Tumblr at Yolokali, or visit at yolokaliartsreach.org for more. Did you guys enjoy that? And now it's time for Music Jams. What's up, everybody that's tuning in to La Mercita? Um, we, we brought like a, a special guest today, which is DJ Mr. Donk, a.k.a. Julian. Hmm. Um, introduce yourself. Where are you from? Uh, from Mexico City. Soy de Mexico, de la Ciudad de Mexico. Hey, okay. Um, you were in tour in, in Europe, right? Yeah. Uh, the last summer, I made uh, one tour with my band, La Redada. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's uh, a band of Latin music, musica latina, con en, una mezcla de danzón, con cumbia. Eh, un poco de mambo reducido a un sexteto 
seis personas tocan, tratando de tocar esta música de los años 30, 40, 50. E hicimos un tour en Europa por dos meses. Okay. Eh, también toco en otras bandas en Ciudad de México. Soy parte de otras bandas eh, como Sonido Gallo Negro, eh, Twintons, Espectroplasma. Y... Sí. Uh, y le puedo preguntar, um, ¿cómo sí. te empezaste a ser un DJ? <risa> Realmente no soy un DJ. Eh, soy más como un selector de música. Y comencé a comprar discos, no sé, cuando era muy joven, cuando era un niño casi, eh, con cas no solo discos de vinil, también cassettes, CDs, y lo hice porque era <risa> la música siempre fue para mí un alivio eh, a mi tiempo libre donde yo encontraba mucha libertad y sigo encontrando mucha libertad al escuchar música al apreciar las grabaciones que hay desde todo estilo de música desde música rock música tropical, música ranchera estoy abierto a escuchar toda la música. Pero si tienes una favorita, ¿cuál es? <risa> es depende la temporada, depende el contexto y depende el, el estado de ánimo que yo tenga. Hay veces que mi favorita es la música bailable, como la cumbia o, <risa> o la música muy alegre. Últimamente escucho música muy alegre que me haga bailar pero también me gusta apreciar y escuchar música eh, más para estar tranquilo estar meditando eh, música ambient o, o música canciones de protesta o cosas muy ruidosas también pueden tener un efecto y un beneficio en mí de de alivio, cosas, un tiempo cuando era más joven, escuchaba mucha música experimental, no sé, ha sido, mi vi, en mi vida eh, ha, ha habido muchas etapas donde en cada etapa escucho música diferente, cuando era eh, de la edad de ustedes, de 15 a 20 años, Escuché mucho rock, mucha música psicodélica y también mucha música experimental. Y al mismo tiempo yo fui creciendo con la música ranchera, con los boleros, porque en mi casa mis papás era lo que escuchaban y siempre me agradó porque... La encuentro muy divertida y con historias muy, muy bonitas ¿no? de estos compositores como José Alfredo Jiménez, Juan Gabriel, no sé, compositores clásicos de México. Eh, sí, es eso.
So, si dirías que tú tienes un estilo cuando vienes a las canciones que se, um, como seleccionas, ¿cuál, cuál será like, el estilo? Depende. Cuando voy a tocar o a seleccionar música para un lugar, como un bar o un lugar donde hay una pista de baile, selecciono canciones que tengan más ritmo, que tengan más groove para que la gente pueda disfrutar eh, al, y que haga a la gente bailar, que los haga mover, que los haga sacudirse y sentir la música en el alma, en los huesos, ¿no? que sientan el ritmo. Uh, pero si voy también a algo como a la radio, o, pues trato de poner algo, de seleccionar canciones que la gente las pueda apreciar no necesariamente desde el, el baile, sino desde solo escucharlas y que se les puedan les pueda transmitir un, un buen sentimiento y también que pueda crear eh, ciertas emociones eh, al escucharlas como no sé el, puede ser música si voy a una radio me gusta poner también canciones eh, no sé si diferentes, pero sí que tal vez no se han programado nunca o que en algún tiempo nunca fueron canciones comerciales. Sí, como mainstream, ya. Yeah. Sí, que sí. no fueron canciones mainstream. Por lo regular, cuando selecciono música, selecciono canciones que han sido canciones que fueron tal vez que nunca fueron tan escuchadas o que tal vez fueron ya olvidadas. Y, sí, que la gente pueda escuchar otra, que tenga otra perspectiva de la música, no solo eh, las canciones mainstream que sí, siempre han estado. Sí. Y, se, y se ocupa eso porque ha visto que mucha gente like, nada más um, se pone a escuchar puras canciones de mainstream y, y hay muchos artistas que son bien buenos en like, todo lo que hacen, ¿verdad? Ya. Yeah. So, ya yeah, está cool que, like, <laughs> que hagas eso de like, años antes. Y vi que tra trajiste unos vinos, ¿verdad? Sí. Um, eh. ¿Te gustaría enseñarlos y explicar cuál es tu favorito o si tienes favorito? Claro. Eh, pues ahora hay uno que es un disco de un músico mexicano. Se llamó Juan Torres y él era pianista, pero se enfocó en grabar discos con el órgano, oh, okay. con de, de órgano, yeah. eh, instrument. Y a estos discos llevaban el nombre de órgano melódico de Juan Torres. Se editaron muchos, muchos discos en México de él, eh, haciendo siempre versiones instrumentales de otras canciones que pudieron haber sido mainstream o que no eh, y bueno él fue un gran músico y dejó plasmadas eh, versiones y canciones propias muy muy buenas pues sí puedo ponerle play a una es el baile del sillón una versión una canción cubana 
favorita. Esto no es cumbia, es otro ritmo. No sé bien cómo definirlo, pero es como la canción sí, la canción es una canción cubana eh, que originalmente está en ritmo de son, eh, pero ya él hizo otra versión con otros arreglos y va entre el, el, sí otro ritmo más eh, funky y Groove, pero eh, sí, no sé cómo definirlo, la verdad. Pero me gusta la versión que hizo de él. Eh, la cumbia lleva otro ritmo y originalmente es de Colombia. Oh, sí, de verdad. Pero se oía más como. ¿Cómo se dice? El... No, no puedo, no, puedo, no puedo describirlo, pero sí. Yeah. Se oye um, un poco. ¿Cómo se dice similar? Ya, sí, sí, sí es, tiene el ritmo latino. Sí, el ritmo latino es así. Um, ¿Puedes, puedes uh, tocar. Co tocar cumbia? Claro. Sí, tuviera. Ok. Eh, pues tengo aquí una maletita de 7 inch record and I can play uh, cumbia, cumbia. Ok, ya. primero este. Es... No necesariamente es cumbia, pero sí es muy cerca al ritmo de cumbia. Es un disco de un músico colombiano que él tocó el acordeón. Y hizo esta canción en ritmo de mambo, pero un mambo no muy común, con un ritmo más intrépido, diría yo, <ríe> y hasta más rápido. Así que la canción se llama... Mambo Loco, el músico se llama Aníbal Velázquez y le voy a dar play, escúchenlo. Es un ritmo que te hace bailar. ¿no? más influencia de África. Sí. Y también, no sé, estas canciones, eh, oh, siempre trato de aprender de ellas. Yo nunca fui a la escuela para aprender música, nunca estudié música, 
pero la manera en que lo hago en mis estudios en la música es más escucharlas, canciones que me gustan y después tratar de imitar esas canciones con el instrumento. El instrumento que yo uso pues, son teclados, eh, keyboards, piano, órganos, synthesizers. Eh, es la manera en que estudio música. ¿Y te gustaría ir, Mike? ¿Te gustaría, le, ¿Le hubiera gustado ir a la escuela? ¿A la escuela? Sí, siempre, siempre me gusta ir, no necesariamente a una aula, a un salón de clases, pero sí me gusta ir con personas con las que puedo aprender. Sí. Eh, y sí, puedo aprender siempre de, de todo tipo de personas, eh, cómo interpretar una canción, cómo cada, cada músico tiene su lenguaje, su sí. perspectiva al interpretar las canciones y para mí eso es lo más interesante más que, sí es muy chido poder comprender el lenguaje musical del solfeo y a veces es muy necesario pero también es muy necesario poder comprender la música desde el oído desde el ritmo y es como yo lo estudio, desde el escuchar una canción así y después tratar de interpretarla y hacer mi versión. Eh, sí, es tal vez como yo lo, yo lo entiendo, ¿no? Sí, ¿ha notado que te gustan artistas que le cambian el tono de ritmo? Como ritmo africano, ritmo colombiano, latino, como digo. Pero, um, ¿por qué te agrada? Uh, ¿Cómo se dice agra agrada? No, sí, agrada. Um, artistas como like, que tengan diferente... Porque um, mucha gente nada más se enfoca en un estilo y yeah. se, like, siguen con ese. Y pues, te, 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 te oyes yeah. que es muy universal. Ya, yeah, para mí. Sí. Para mí la música, el lenguaje de la música es universal. Eh, la música, sí, es como tú dices, es un lenguaje universal que lo puede entender cualquier persona en el mundo que lo esté escuchando, ya sea en Japón, sea en África, sea en Europa, sea en Sudamérica, o donde, donde sea. Eh, al momento de tú escuchar una melodía o un ritmo, eh, tú lo vas a poder percibir y a sentir de la manera en que tú lo comprendas. Entonces es un lenguaje que muy por eso es universal, porque cualquiera lo puede entender. Eh, y sí, también está el lenguaje escrito de la música, que es el solfeo, que eso vino después, pero eh, la música nació en África y nació con el ritmo y nació con la manera de compartir eh, el sonido, el sonido eh, para diferentes contextos como eh, ya sean rituales o fiestas o velorios. En la historia de la música es así. En la, eh, está escrita para diferentes contextos, para fiestas, para velorios, para bodas, para música alegre, música triste, de todo tipo. 
Sí, y um, has ido a muchas partes del mundo. Uh, y sí, sí, si has ido, ¿cuál es tu favorita? Eh, no, eh, no tengo... Eh, conozco, no muchas partes, conozco un solo algunos países de América Latina, Norteamérica y de Europa. Me gustaría mucho conocer África y Asia, pero no sé si tenga un favorito. Para mí cada lugar es especial porque encuentro encuentro que todos somos seres humanos y que siempre es agradable encontrar buenas personas en cualquier parte del mundo, eh, ya sea Europa, Sudamérica, Norteamérica o donde sea. Lo, para mí lo más agradable y mis lugares favoritos es donde encuentro a buenas personas. Eso como, eso lo puedes encontrar en cualquier parte del mundo. Sí. Um, so, ahora, um, ¿le gustaría cambiar otra canción? ¿O? Sí, claro. Pues, también tengo, traje un instrumento. Oh, ¿también lo puedo tocar? Sí, eh, está por ahí, Charlie. Mira. Eh, si quieren, puedo. Es una melódica, piánica, un instrumento muy bonito que me prestaron hoy mis amigos. Y actualmente en la Ciudad de México tengo uno similar a este con el que trato de estudiar todos los días y con el que puedo viajar en el metro, en la calle, en el bus y siempre antes de ir a un ensayo eh, con alguna banda o con amigos, pues lo llevo conmigo y voy en el camino, trato de ir recordando las canciones o tocando canciones para la gente en el metro, en el bus y es solo como un medio para compartir sonido y música con más gente, ¿no? Entonces, pues sí, puedo intentar compartir ahora algo de, con ustedes eh, de alguna canción. Por ejemplo, eh, eh, con, mi, con mi banda que en la quise este tour estuve tocando una canción eh, de una parte de México que es... Eh, está entre Oaxaca y, y Guerrero, es Costa Chica, y ahí tienen un, un estilo de tocar la música eh, un poco diferente a otras partes de México. Eh, y bueno, la canción se llama Chilito Piquín, es un, <risa> ajá, es un estilo como de chilena y, y voy a tocar un pedazo. Okay. Eh, I'm fierce of you.
Ok, es parte wow. de, es, de esas canciones. Eh, arriba las chivas. Arriba las chivas. Arriba la América. Sí, no sé, ahora que estaba tocando esta, de, también es una de Mambo Loco. Estaba tratando de aprenderla. Es, va, tiene pocas notas y es como... parte de la melodía que casi toda es así pero wow. es, sí son dirías que ese es tu favorito instrumento eh, sí porque actualmente sí porque es muy práctico puedo llevarlo donde a sea. donde sea no hay instrumentos que me gustan mucho como el piano o los sintetizadores pero a veces es complicado traerlos conmigo entonces últimamente es la melódica pianica se, se ha convertido en un instrumento que me ha acompañado mucho. So, ¿Has hecho, um, has hecho like, conciertos en el autobús? O en sí. El, sí. ¿Cómo, cómo reacta la gente? Reacta ah, la gente? pues por lo regular cuando toco en el metro, en el bus, intento tocar canciones alegres sí. <ríe> para que el trayecto de estas personas sea más llevadero y pueda contagiarles un poco de alegría con estas melodías. Sí, especialmente ahorita que tiempos, mucha gente está muy triste. Pues, ah, está, sí, está, sí, en importante. todo el mundo, ¿no? Siempre no, la sí, gente, no, y sí. sobre todo en la ciudad, la gente es muy estresada sí. y está eh, con un humor muy, muy malo, sí, entonces digo. sí, pues... Esto a veces a muchos les ayuda, a otros tal vez no, pero eh, nunca, siempre que haya estado tocando en el bus, en el metro, nunca este, me han dicho nada, al contrario, eh, se acercan y me dan dinero oh, okay. o me sonríen y es bueno, okay. es chido. ¿Y qué dirías que es tu um, favorita parte de tener este tipo de trabajo? Like, de poder seleccionar música y, y tratar, a, ¿cómo se dice? A, Enseñarle a cualquier persona que quiera eso, como sea, like, tocarlos en bars y todo. Eh, sí, a veces no lo veo como un trabajo, un tra sí, es pues, más como una pasión sí, sí. que me gusta compartirlo con eh, a donde voy, ¿no? con las personas que estén abiertas a, a recibirlo y sí, tuve un trabajo <ríe> en el pasado y me aburría, eh, entonces decidí que ahora quería vivir de esta manera, solo viajando y tocando música, ya sea con bandas, sea tocando discos o con instrumentos así. Eh, tengo planes de seguir eh, buscando más música y músicos en el mundo. Y, y espero poder concretarlos eh, pronto para que más gente pueda escuchar y tal vez les pueda 
regalar un poco de, de buena onda con estas canciones. Entonces, sí, ahora estoy aquí eh, para venir a compartir música con más gente. Yeah. Um, ¿Cómo se llama? Y si de, tenías un músico que te... ¿cómo, no puedo decir... Inf que me influenciaste, sí. Oh, <risa> no te preocupes. Sí, no, hay muchos músicos que me han influenciado desde... <risa> eh, no sé, tengo muchos, tengo muchos músicos que me han influenciado, pero yo creo que los que más me han influenciado son esos que son más... Eh, extravagantes que son más extraños y que no son tan ordinarios y tan comunes como puede haber muchos. Sí. Entonces, aquí en Chicago recuerdo cuando descubrí un disco de un músico que también se subía al, al metro y al bus, era un chico afroamericano con problemas de esquizofrenia, uh -huh. eh, se llamó Wesley Willis. Eh, y ahora que vengo a esta ciudad, eh, el escuchar sus canciones de él me dan buena onda porque él era también un músico pues, muy simple, muy sencillo, que solo quería transmitir el momento en sus canciones y sin gran complejidad ni crear obras maestras. Y es algo que me ha influenciado, tal vez esa actitud de solo compartir el momento y buena onda sin ninguna eh, sin ninguna idea de querer crear obras maestras ¿no? sí. para mí eh, nada es, es más como pasar el rato y, y compartir buena buen rollo buena música con la gente y ya está sí es verdad like, a veces hay mucha belleza no simple so, sí. Sí. Yeah. Um, um, this was La Mesita. Um, that's, that's a wrap. That's, that's DJ uh, Mr. Donk for you, a.k.a. Julian. See you next week. <laughs> so nice. awkward. It's very good. Thank you, Mari Carmen. Take a trip through Latin America's vinyl past circa 1950s and on. Get ready for hard-hitting cumbias, eccentric pop, garage rock and tropical sounds with a few surprises here and there. Every Tuesday from 8 to 10 p.m. Here at Lumpen Radio 10505 FM Chicago. Sonorama. Vintage Latin Sounds. Lumpin' Radio is brought to you in part by 606 Records, a record store in Pilsen. 606 Records buys and sells new, used, and rare vinyl from around the world. Located across the street from historic Talia Hall, 
606 Records serves up sounds from the underground seven days a week. More info at 606records.com. Support for WLPN is provided by Quimby's Bookstore. Located in Wicker Park, Quimby's is an independently owned bookstore that sells independently published and small press books, comics, zines, and ephemera. Quimby's carries the unusual, the aberrant, the saucy, and the lowbrow. Quimby's is located at 1854 West North Ave in between Ashland and Damon and on the web at quimby's.com. Hi, we're the students of Yolo Kali. Every Saturday, we take over Lumpen Radio for two hours with our amazing live broadcast from Studio Y in Little Village. <laughs> Lumpen Radio's membership drive is on right now. Lumpen needs these memberships to keep shows like What's Up on the air. Did you hear that? Us, Us off, off the air? You have to become a member of Lumpen Radio with a one-time or repeating gift and support our program. It supports some other shows too, but we all know we're the best thing on this station. Visit LumpenRadio.com for all the details. Become a member today. Go to LumpenRadio.com right now. See you there. Pescado, 
Mambo Pope el sabroso, salao, salao.
Ay, machango, 
Mi pepito tiene ya En el boxo de un campeón De mi barrio populoso Rubén Es el alma y corazón Un amigo a todo dar Desde niño lo mostró Muy sencillo en su trato también Siempre ha sido mi campeón Invencible fue por su valor en la vida y en el ring Nunca se dio, mexicano es a mucho honor Este púa singular, nuestro campeón, nuestro campeón Anda bonita la cumbia para ti Rubén Te pito, te saluda, anda tiene ya en el boxo un campeón de mi barrio populoso Rubén es el alma y corazón un amigo a todo dar desde niño lo mostró muy sencillo en su trato también siempre ha sido mi campeón invencible fue por su valor en la vida y en el ring nunca se dio Mexicano es, a mucho honor, este púa singular, nuestro campeón, nuestro campeón, anda bonita la cumbia para ti, tu barrio te saluda, ¡Hueva, Por la noche salían a mirar a las vidas. 
ciudad Pensando que Santa Claus o el niño Dios nos iba a escuchar Pa' un carrito yo quiero Pa' ti un tambo es lo que quieres Y así pasaron las noches Viendo juguetes comprar De padres para sus hijos Que pertenecen al buen moral Fabio 